This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful era of Shabbos to all of you. Great to be here to share some ideas, to talk about things that are important in our lives, to take a look at the Parsha of the week and to see within it guidance and direction, meaning and purpose to understand what in fact God expects from us, what he wants from us, and how we have to fulfill those obligations with the best possible knowledge, and that, of course, is the knowledge of Torah. Torah, after all, is the wisdom of God, and as such, it has the incredible power of lighting up those dark corners, making things easier to understand within ourselves, within the world, our relationship with others, our relationship with God, and His with us. The parish of the week is not only a time to study a word or two or Torah, it's a time of well, beyond inspiration, to open up our minds and hearts to receive the truth of Torah in every sense of the word and to see the incredible genius of what Torah has to say in terms of our own lives, to seek out those type of ideas that are current and relevant and talk to us within the situation of life as we live it. And this is why this week, Baha'u talks about all sorts of interesting things. We'll take a look at the Parsha. We see some questions, some conflict, but at the same time, as I said before, the name of the Parsha carries the central message of the Parsha, carries the central message of the Parsha, not only throughout the Parsha, but into us as well. We have to see everything within the context of Baha'u which means to raise, to elevate, to kindle. In this instance, of course, it was the commandment given to Aaron, Aaron, a high priest, his duty and tremendous, tremendous honor and responsibility was to kindle the candelabra in the holy area of the temple. And kindling the uh, candelabra was not merely an act of putting lamps alight, but rather it created a type of light, a type of radiance, of illumination that changed not only the interior of the Migdash, the encamp of the people in the wilderness, the Jewish people in the wilderness, but in fact it brought light to the world. It was a powerful sort of duty, a responsibility that took tremendous strength from Aaron in order to do this appropriately and properly so that in fact this radiation, this incredible energy could enter into the world and bring all sorts of positive aspects that light does. And the Torah tells us a very strange thing, how he had to kindle these lamps and how they all, you know, seven lamps, three on each side, with the center stem in the middle, and how each of the fires were directed toward the central lamp. What that means, what it means in terms of our own lives, why was it necessary, why this miracle... Of course, everything that took place in the Holy Temple was, in a sense, quite miraculous. The very presence of God within the Temple was miraculous. But at the same time, we know the rule that God doesn't simply make miracles for the sake of making miracles. It has to have a purpose. It has to have something to teach us, certainly within the context of Torah, because Torah, after all, is a teacher. And therefore, these ideas, these thoughts, come with a great message. What is that message? And the interesting thing is that although it's not really outlined clearly within the text itself, but our sages tell us that there was a bit of pain at the beginning of this commandment when Aaron was told by Moshe that he would have the incredible privilege and honor 
of kindling the lamps. It says, as Rashi points out, that Chol Shadato, he was a little bit upset. Aaron was upset because he saw all the other heads of tribes were bringing these incredible gifts to the temple, as we discussed last week, each one being not only a gift but symbolic all of humankind from beginning of time to the end of time, how each one of the gifts represented a different dimension within the world as we see it, within the Jewish people, within the Torah, within the Holy Ark, within the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. And he felt bad that it would appear that his tribe, he was the head of the tribe of Levi, of course, although he was a Kohen, did not bring any gifts. Moshe tells him, don't worry, what you will accomplish is far greater than what they will do, because you on a daily basis will have the ability and the responsibility and the incredible privilege to kindle the lamps. What was that all about? How is it that a man, the stature of Aaron, who was the high priest, an individual who was spoken to directly by God on so many different occasions, who partnered with Moshe in so many areas, starting with confronting Pharaoh in Egypt and speaking to the Jewish people and communicating the ideas of God and listening to what God has to say. Aaron was an exceptionally developed human being. He was a tzaddik at the highest level. And yet it would appear that Chol Shadata, there was a weakness within him. Something bothered him. And it wasn't mere jealousy, God forbid, because Aaron was an individual who went far beyond these limited type of emotional expressions. There was tremendous validity in what he did. And we have to understand that. But at the same time, we also have to understand how, in fact, lighting the candelabra on a daily basis would be greater than that which the other heads of tribes brought. What is the connection between the two, the gifts and lighting the candelabra. And we talk about lighting the candelabra in a deeper sense of bringing illumination to the world in the fullest sense. We're talking about a situation of a dark place needing light. Light, of course, is there to enable us to see what's taking place. Without light, we don't see. You can be in a room with the most incredibly beautiful items. If there is no light, you simply won't see it. We live in a world which is incredibly beautiful in its own right, and we see so many beautiful things. But so many aspects of the world are hidden. God purposely, for all sorts of reasons, hid certain dimensions of the world things of great beauty when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to every type of hidden element. God hid most of what he brought into the world. What we see is merely the tip of the iceberg, if that. What we see is incredibly limited in relationship to that which, in fact, is truly there. And we need an incredibly powerful light in order for us to recognize and see what is needed and what exists in the world and how we can use those things for a greater purpose. And this is why it's a process of time, many years, sometimes decades, sometimes thousands of years before certain things are revealed. We talk about the hidden aspect of Torah. We talk about Kabbalah. We talk about the esoteric dimension of Kabbalah, which was hidden for so many years, began with at a certain time during the sages to a limited group of people. The Arizal extended it further, and today it's extended even further. But it took a long time for that light to penetrate the darkness of the world. And with that light, we see so many inner 
powerful dimensions of God's creation. And this is what Aaron is charged. Aaron is charged with the incredible duty of bringing this type of illumination into the world so that the hidden gifts that God put into this world, albeit in a hidden sort of way, in a situation of darkness, we would see, we would understand, we would feel, we would recognize as a result of the spiritual and divine light that comes about as a result of kindling the lamp. But at the same time, we have to understand what relationship is there between the kindling of the lamp and the gifts that the heads of the tribes brought. After all, we would think they are completely separate ideas. They brought certain gifts that represented certain ideas, that represented certain dimensions of God's creation, that represented God's creation in a visible sort of way. Aaron had to bring illumination into a place of darkness. What is the relationship between all of that, and how, in fact, this extends throughout the entire Parsha? But more of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about Parsha Bahalotcha and how, in fact, it contains a great many elements that we have to connect within the context of the central name Bahalotcha. What is Bahalotcha? As I said before, within the context of this particular Parsha, it means to kindle, to light. Aaron's duty, privilege of lighting the candelabrum. But it also means bahalotcha in its literal sense, to elevate, to bring up, to raise, to take from a a lower level to a higher level. And as we go through the Parsha, we have to see, is this an act? Is this a story that brings about illumination, light, divine light, that brings purpose and clarity into the dark places of the world? Is this something which elevates a particular situation to a higher spiritual level, to a higher level of enlightenment? And as we go through the Parsha at the beginning, it would seem to be, yes, we talk about the installation of the Levium, their particular responsibilities and how they worked. We talk about how the camp moved with incredible precision to move millions of people with the temple, how that worked within the wilderness with the incredible detail. This is Bahalotcha. Moving through the desert was not simply an act of moving from point A to point B, but movement in itself means elevation, purifying, refining, lifting up the journey, the road that they walked on to a higher and greater purpose. This is the story of the Jewish people throughout history. You go to all sorts of places, sometimes difficult deserts and wildernesses. At the same time, we are there for the purpose of refinement. It fits in precisely with the name of the Parsha. We talk about the second Passover, where a group of people came to Moshe and said we were in a state of impurity and couldn't bring the Passover offering, the Korban Pesach. And Moshe said, let me ask God. And as the commentaries point out, why was it necessary for Moshe to ask God? He should have received this information as any other information directly from God. And the commentaries point out that this was in order to give merit to individuals who have done something meritorious. And we have to understand these people were in a state of impurity. What meritorious deed did they do that they merit the fact that it is precisely as a result of their question that God announced the idea of Pesach Sheni, the second Pesach? 
that too is behalotcha, that too is bringing light, that even an individual who is in a state of impurity for whatever reason still has the opportunity of fulfilling God's commandments at a later date. And not only that, but in actual fact, it's a source of elevation. People who have been in a state of, well, negativity are able to come to a higher level. What meritorious act? These were individuals who were involved in doing a mitzvah. Commentaries our sages tell us these individuals were impure were either those who had to deal with the bodies of the two sons of Aaron who had died as a result of their actions, or are these the individuals who were carrying the coffin of Joseph containing his bones? And this, in fact, indicates that despite the fact that they were at a high level already fulfilling a mitzvah, they still wanted to raise themselves to a far higher level, the idea of illumination, the idea of bringing clarity, not only in a situation of seeming darkness, but even light in relationship to a higher light is darkness as well. And these people were forever looking for new dimensions of God's revelation, and this is why they pleaded with Moshe to appeal to God to find out if, in fact, they could bring the Korban Pesach. This is the elevation and the illumination. But as we get a little bit toward the end of the Parsha, we begin to hear all sorts of sad and negative stories, stories of how the Asafs of people began to agitate right after they've seen miracle upon miracle. They had all sorts of situations which indicated a tremendous sense of God's devotion and God's involvement with them on a daily basis. They begin to complain that their lives are meaningless. They simply have to eat this uh, manna from heaven, which, by the way, happened to be something which had every single flavor, whatever flavor you wanted it to have, whatever taste you wanted it to have, that's what the manna had. And yet they complained. And they said something strange. He said, we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt for free. For free? They were enslaved. They were people who had nothing. They had to fight for every little bit of bread. What kind of fish were they given for nothing? And one wonders, what kind of elevation is this? What kind of illumination is this? What is this story all about? And how does it fit into this particular Parsha? And a little bit later, we read the story of how Miriam and Aaron criticized Moshe for whatever he did or what they thought he did. And yet, God turns around and says, how dare you criticize this man? He is the most humble of all humans upon earth. And not only that, but behold, Beiti Neman, who he is the individual that is trusted within my entire house. Now, God says my entire house, that's all of creation and beyond. And he says, yet Moshe is the one who's trusted within it. How dare you criticize him? And not only that, he says, but I speak to him face with face, unlike any other prophet. Any other prophet, it's an indirect type of prophecy relationship between God and the prophet. With Moshe, it's face to face. Now, what was that story all about? And how does that introduce the idea of illumination and elevation in the context of this week's Parsha? So the Parsha, after all, is a bit of a strange Parsha because it contains stories that seemingly have no relationship to the name of the Parsha, the name of the Parsha, Bahalotcha. And perhaps one can explain it along the following lines, and that is, as I mentioned earlier on, 
The story of Bahalotcha unfortunately began with Aaron feeling upset that he didn't have the honor of bringing a gift to the temple. Now we have to understand that when a righteous man at Sadiq goes through a certain experience which we think is similar to ours, we kind of, well, attribute our feelings into that particular action. And as we experience dimensions, well, of jealousy or upset, we think, well, that's how great people feel and think as well. And nothing could be further from the truth. When a righteous man behaves in a particular way, it's there for a higher purpose. It's not personal, it's not ego, it's not a sense of jealousy as we would understand jealousy even in its most refined state. It is an altogether different type of situation. Aaron felt that he had to participate in the initial development and installation, inauguration of the temple. And this is why what Moshe tells him is you on a daily basis will light the candelabrum and every single day it will be as if it is the first time that the candelabrum, the menorah, was kindled in the temple. And this is something that we have to understand. Moshe is telling Aaron, you obviously felt, and correctly so, that you wanted to be an individual who would participate in the initial stages rather than simply doing the service beyond on a daily basis. Moshe says every single time, you will kindle the candelabra. It will be as if it's the very first time that it happened. And this placated Aaron. But at the same time, we also have to understand When something happens at a higher level, it begins to devolve into a lower level until it relates to us within a very limited condition. Spiritual darkness is holiness beyond any type of term. But at the same time, as the darkness descends into the world, it becomes a real darkness. It becomes something which is crippling. Sometimes it's paralyzing. Sometimes it's totally overwhelming. It comes from a high source, and its highest source, it is a darkness that enables creation. But at the same time, as it evolves into the physical world, into our world, we begin to relate to it with our limited feelings, with our limited minds, and with our limited senses. And this is why when the righteous man goes through an experience, it devolves perhaps where others see it, as mentioned before, in a limited sort of way, and they react, they respond accordingly. And this is something which we have to understand, that when a tzaddik does something, someone else on a lower stage might do the same thing. Well, not the same thing, because he doesn't do it on the level of the tzaddik, but in a sense similar. However, it's at a lower level, and this is why it's far more limited and restricted. What seemed to be an act of upset, or perhaps even jealousy, on the part of Aaron, which wasn't, but at the same time, humans on a lower level saw it as that, and they too behaved in that sort of way. And this is why later on we begin to see the story of the Asafsu. We begin to see the rabble who comes complaining to Moshe that we don't have whatever we want in Egypt. We had all sorts of luxuries, which of course was absolutely untrue. But at the same time, this is the way they felt their bad behavior evolved. But it's also something that we have to understand in terms of elevation and illumination. That even when people behave badly, and they express thoughts which are not only incorrect, 
but a violation of the relationship with God. When people behave in a way which indicates a tremendous lack of gratitude to God, seeing miracles not only once upon a time, but on a daily basis, and complaining and complaining, this is not enough, this is not good enough. And this is why Moshe turns to God and he says to God, what have you done to me that you gave me a people that are so difficult to guide and to lead no matter what happens, they continuously, continually complain. This is what the Parsha is all about. That even in that situation where people behave badly and show little or no gratitude to God for the miracles that he shows them on a daily basis, they too can still take that opportunity and to turn it around, to refine it, to elevate it to a level where it becomes Kali, it becomes a vessel of light, an opportunity of elevation, of bringing something from a lower level into a higher level. This is the power of the individual. A person can do all sorts of things and sometimes behave in a way which is completely contrary to the will of God. But at the same time, In a moment, he can regret the negative behavior. The cause of the behavior is part of the halotcha experience because what Aaron felt at a higher level, they experienced at a lower level. But even then, there has to be change, there has to be refinement, and there has to be transformation to take that negative situation and to elevate it to a level which is so much greater. When they said, we remember the fish that we ate for free in Egypt. And as I mentioned, free, they had nothing for free. They had to build cities by making their own bricks, binding their own straw to make the bricks. And yet, what happens? What happens is that they meant a different type of freedom. And what freedom do they mean? We don't have an obligation to God. In Egypt, whatever we did, what we just did, But over here, whatever we do, we have to show gratitude. And this is something which they resented. They resented the idea of actually showing gratitude to God. We want nothing to do with that. We want what we want, and we don't want to be accountable to anything higher. Now, this type of behavior shows a tremendous descent into levels of darkness. It's bad enough we live in a world of darkness. But to add to that darkness, to submerge oneself in that crippling darkness, to deny God in every single situation, one can only imagine how low that type of behavior is. And yet the Torah tells us it's within Parshat Bahalotcha. Look carefully and you will see that there is a cause for your behavior. Perhaps it's not your fault. Elevate change, uplift, illuminate, bring about refinement and transformation, bring about a situation where even though you might have behaved poorly in a situation, you chose badly, you deny the presence of God, you deny any obligation to God as a result of the constant gifts and miracles that he gives you, even then, this is Parsha Bahalotcha, you can elevate, you can change, you can transform, you can bring light even into that darkness. It's a place that the righteous will not enter. It's a place that the good will not enter. It's a place where those who genuinely feel a tremendous sense of gratitude to God for his wonderful miracles will not enter. It is a particular type of individual who, as a result of choice or circumstance, God chose to put him into a 
position of darkness, but it's there that he is able to elevate that lower level and in a sense indicates that he or she possesses a certain strength which even the great don't possess because they cannot enter into that dark situation. And this is how these stories talk to us about change, transformation, elevation, in the most difficult circumstances, in the darkness circumstances. There is the possibility, there is the opportunity. It's hard work and sometimes takes generations. And sometimes we have to go through the most incredibly difficult type of exiles in order to accomplish it. But God brings us into those situations because he gives us the strength and the presence to bring about change. More of that soon. This is the Parsha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. And as we come to the end of the Parsha, we begin to see another story, another story which is so puzzling. The story of how Miriam criticized um, Moshe, and God became very upset with Miriam to the point that he punished her and gave her leprosy. And while, of course... She was a righteous woman of the highest degree. Nonetheless, it would appear as if she had done something terribly wrong. And she criticized Moshe because she said to Moshe that, after all, he is not showing enough attention to his wife because he is so busy with his other duties. And God said that Moshe is the most humble of people. He's a person that is trusted in my entire house. He's an individual that I speak to face to face Well, constantly. What was that really all about? After all, Miriam herself was a prophetess. She was a woman of great, great righteousness, piety beyond words. She knew who Moshe was. She understood. She knew that Moshe was the leader of the Jewish people. She knew that Moshe represented a level of holiness and perfection that was not surpassed by anyone. And despite the fact he was a truly humble man, as Torah testifies, the most humble of people. And not only that, but if anybody could criticize, so to speak, Moshe, it was, of course, Miriam. Miriam, as a result of her intervention, Moshe was born. As a result of her tremendous self-sacrifice, she protected his life as an infant, particularly when he was in the basket in the water. Miriam was the older sister, and an older sister who cared, who put herself at great, great risk in order to protect Moshe. And yet, God became so angry when she criticized him, which wasn't really a criticism, but basically disagreeing with a certain aspect of his behavior, etc. Now, of course, she was a great woman and deserved all the blessings that God gave her, not only being a prophetess, but all sorts of other blessings that she had. But the fact remains, she made a mistake in fully understanding the greatness of Moshe. Even among the righteous, even among the great, those who are great recognize those who are greater than themselves. When a person doesn't recognize those that are greater than themselves, they themselves are not great. When a person recognizes those who are greater than themselves as truly great, this brings a sense of elevation and illumination. When a person who is righteous and is great doesn't recognize the greatness 
of those who are truly greater. It limits that individual because he begins to see greatness as defined by his own reality and his own experiences. Moshe was an individual who was beyond any type of limitation. God himself testifies, the most humble of people, person who was trusted in my entire household, an individual who has the incredible capacity to speak with me face to face. This is something which was not written by someone else about Moshe. This is God himself testifying as to the greatness of Moshe. To a certain degree, to a certain limited degree, Miriam, well, slightly misjudged the situation. And while she did it out of love and tremendous concern for her brother and concern for the people and concern for prophecy, etc., she did not understand that this fault, as she saw it, does not apply to Moshe. For a moment, she didn't see greater than herself. She looked at Moshe, perhaps on the same level as she was. And this is something which was unacceptable. This is why she is punished. Bahalotcha. This is another dimension of illumination and elevation, to recognize those that are greater than ourselves. And while, of course, you know, we look at really great people, etc., and we think to ourselves, but the truly greater than ourselves are around us all the time. It might be an individual doesn't seem great at all, but perhaps within one area of life, this individual is greater than you. This is where you have to extend and show elevation, recognizing the greatness of others, which elevates the greatness within yourself, which illuminates, which makes you understand what true greatness is. When a great person meets someone who is far greater than him, this gives the individual the opportunity of understanding greaters at a higher level and a goal to which to aspire to, to journey along the road of true greatness and to become, in a sense, greater than yourself. It takes a tremendous degree of humility because, after all, a great person feels completely accomplished and doesn't have to move forward. story of Miriam and Aaron and Moshe tells us quite to the contrary. Yes, you always have to retain a sense of humility so that you see greatness in others, which enables you to elevate and to illuminate within yourself and within your understanding of the world. And this is why God says Moshe is the most humble of all people, because he is the one who recognizes that at all times, searching for that which is greater than himself so that he can elevate himself. This fits into the idea of Bahalotcha, illumination, and elevation in a most perfect way when you have the sense of true spiritual objectivity where you're able to recognize these things. Don't minimize the greatness of Miriam for one moment. The entire camp of Israel had to wait for the seven days until she returned to a state of purity after she was healed from her tzorah. But at the same time, she made that slight mistake which brought about a situation of, well, a lack of Bahalotcha, yet an opportunity upon reflection to illuminate and to elevate even to a far higher degree. And this is why when you hear the Parsha being read in Shul tomorrow, listen to it carefully. In every single portion, try to understand where is the illumination, where is the elevation, how do I see the idea of Bahalotcha, whatever the story is, whether it's the trumpets, the movement of the people, God speaking to Moshe, 
Moshe speaking to the people, listening to their complaints, the story of Miriam, whatever portion of the Parsha it is, try to understand how does this fit into the context of Bahalotcha to illuminate and to elevate. And try to understand how you yourself fit into this pattern of illumination and elevation. How I can take that story and make it my own. How I can see my faults as an opportunity for Bahalotcha, for illumination and elevation. Make the story of the Torah real in a personal sort of way. Recognize that dimension within yourself and recognize the heights that you can achieve if you so desire, if you so work at it. It takes humility. It takes hard work. It takes a tremendous sense of honesty and ability to see. But recognize that dimension within yourself. Listen to the story well. Listen to the story well within the context of Bahalotcha, illumination and elevation. Apply it to yourself. Bring about a state of Bahalotcha in your own life. Good Shabbos.